J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut, a cinema podcast for people who like to watch moving pictures. My name is James. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast, and I am finally officially a writer for Films Fatal. Yes. Awesome. I'm Andreas. Uh, welcome aboard, James. Um, I'm the creator of Films Fatal. I also do some writing occasionally here and there. Thanks to my growing team, which helps. They help give me some off days, so thank you all. And uh, one of those major contributors is... Rachel, I'm right here, and I just did my 25th review in my World of Movies column, a World Cinema column at Film Fatale. So I put up a retrospective where I rank them. Feel free to go check it out. Yeah, between that, you know, quarter anniversary of the World of Movies, and James, your, your column just starting out, it's... It's a wonderful time. Um, I, I'm so humbled by you know the quality work that you, that everybody here turns out. I love this family, but we all also love today's topic. We love Criterion films, and that's a major reason why we all can connect. I feel like on a podcast like this because Criterion appeals to like all walks of life, but a very specific type of cinephile. So, uh, James, this was your topic this week. You and I have been talking about Criterion since as long as we've known each other. Uh, why did you want to go with this? Was there anything in particular that set this off? Well, I was trying to think of something creative we could do with an episode, because it seems like more and more as we progress, that episodes just keep getting more and more ambitious so I, I try to keep the momentum so i thought it'd be fun for the first half to talk about movies that aren't in the criterion collection that we think should be and then for the second half we'll talk about out of print films that we think they should bring back yeah well again we all love criterion here at uh films Patel at the k-cut and uh as a lot of you know by now uh criterion's just announced uh one of the films that it's brought back to the collection uh, not since laserdisc have they had citizen kane now in 4k hence the very polarizing cover that they've had so with this this episode there are so many titles that were formerly in print but now they're not but they've been brought back or things that we've wanted in the collection but you know they eventually got around to our requests. Criterion's been very good at this, so I'm very curious to hear what everybody's answers are because I don't think there's a lot that they haven't done. So, James, since was, this was your idea, what do you want in the collection that you don't already have? Quentin Tarantino's Trailblazing 1992 debut, Reservoir Dogs. It's not in there? Nope. That's actually very, uh, well, first off, none of his films, you can guess that's for a rights reason, but if any of his films were to be, you'd imagine that they try and get on top of that because, you know, Criteria specializes in all sorts of things, but especially with, like, the indie-related stuff. Now, I'm guessing Reservoir Dogs has been well taken care of, and Criterion is primarily a restoration or preservation type company, but how can they get it in there? Yeah. So I was trying to think of how I would approach this because I mean, Criterion is responsible for the special edition home media package as far as films are concerned, Mm -hmm. which is why some of their early titles in the collection seem weird. Like, you know, Armageddon is in the collection and the rock both by (laughs) Michael Bay, which seems kind of weird, but it kind of made sense because, you know, DVD was fairly new back then, so you know Criterion was up on the jump. I mean, having come from being a Laserdisc company. So I was trying to figure out, one, a cover. And I just figured, I don't know if I want to go with like a, the classic shot of them like walking out of the diner 
or if I want like a scene in the final standoff in the warehouse. So I'm probably playing between one of those two. But as far as bonus material, I mean, obviously they do a new scan and update it for, you know, 2K and 4K or whichever one they feel like doing. But as far as bonus features, obviously I'd probably want some interviews from back in the day that he did for press, maybe some behind the scenes if they have some. I mean, they're really, I don't think I've really seen too much of that. Obviously scenes that were cut because I had a special edition of it that had a couple cut scenes and, you know, maybe a retrospective for with all the people involved, you know, just get everybody back together and have them talk about what it was like, you know, when it, when they were making it versus, you know, now having been so long after. And two ideas I had for like extra special editions, I would want to include uh, his famous lost um, first feature, which became a short, uh, My Best Friend's Birthday, which was a film that he had made like a few years before he ever did Reservoir Dogs. And uh, what happened with that one was he, I think he shot it over weekends over like a year or something like that. And then there was a, a fire at the lab that destroyed a good amount of the film and they were left with only about half of it. So they cut together, like I think a 35 minute cut that they've shown like, I think at festivals or maybe museums and stuff like that. So I think that'd be fun. And then one that is an impossibility and would never happen was one that was inspired by uh something he brought up when he was on the Joe Rogan experience because they got on the topic of what his final film would be. And he said one of the ideas he had was taking his original script for Reservoir Dogs and remaking it as kind of like a test to see like how he actually improved as a director. That's that would be incredible. You know, kind of yeah. like remake your first work to see it's like, oh, how good did I actually get? And well, Hitchcock did it. Oh, Hitchcock did it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, considering a lot of those were silent features also, it only makes sense that he want to make a talking version. But yeah, I just think it's of all his films. It's definitely one that is definitely deserving of being in it because it's probably, you know, it's one of the most unique ones in his filmography, considering, you know, he's done a lot of interesting stuff. There's just something about it that's special. Yeah, I feel like there will be so many like production stories or uh, things that he's, he's held on to that could be included in this package. I feel like it's a, it's a, if you're going to pick one Tarantino film, I feel like there are better films in general of his, even though I love Reservoir Dogs, but to be in the collection, I feel like it only makes sense. He's also a film buffs filmmaker. So he's absolutely perfect for it. Exactly. And can you imagine his commentary? Like, yeah, I, I think there's something special about him in that regard. It's like he's so enamored with cinema. Like you, you take a look at something like Kill Bill and it's just this really bizarre mashup of all these different influences to, you know, I mean, the spaghetti Western to, you know, Kung Fu flicks, you know, obviously he plays the, you know, nonlinear nonlinear, you know, story format as he does or including like, you know, legendary people like, um, Sonny Chiba, who we unfortunately just got the news that he passed away. You know, he played mm-hmm. Hattori Hanzo in the movie. And, you know, just, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting when, like, a cinephile who's being a cinephile when he makes movies. Because, I mean, the average director will put their influences, but he literally is like, I'm just going to take from this, and I don't care what you say. So that that could also be interesting. Like, maybe a compilation of all of the things he references in Reservoir Dogs, like, shot for shot. Oh, that would like be that really maybe. interesting. Yeah. But then, you know, the rights issues that go into that, I don't know. That 
that's a lot of films. So yo, yo, they should do that. <laughs> like Criterion, <laughs> if you're listening, you should do that. Criterion, if you end up becoming the, the Disney of, of Art House International and indie films where you just own everything, yes, please do that. <laughs> so I mean they're on their way, it seems like with what they've been acquiring. Yeah, that, that's true. They're they're well on their way. So speaking of which, since they appeal to to all walks of life, um, that was an indie film. Rachel, I'm guessing you're going to be a little bit more more old Hollywood with your pick. Um, I decided to go international with Ooh. Norte: The End of History. Okay. Have either of you seen it? No, I've never I heard of it. I only know of it because of you, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, you would both love it. It's one of the most well-regarded films ever made in the Philippines. It, uh, I reviewed it for Films Fatale, and it ranked pretty high on my list. No, big spoiler alert. But um, it's four hours long, and it's this long, epic, thoughtful, beautifully shot adaptation of crime and punishment. So it goes into all these details of justice and shame and passing the buck. It's an unbelievable movie, and it does not feel four hours long. I really feel that if a movie is longer than two and a half hours, it needs to justify itself, and this one more than does it. And it is exactly the kind of movie that film buffs would love. So I was honestly surprised it wasn't in the collection already, but I hope given a few years it will be. Um, It's also, it won plenty of awards around the world, and it tended to be the kind of more geeky awards. It was on sight and sound. I think it would really do well there. And it's such a great pick because, again, Criterion is also about preservation. So when people ask for things like, I don't know, Avatar or Whiplash or things that have just come out, you know, something like this where there there needs to be like a proper housing and digitization, I feel like it, it really calls for it. Yeah. And um, one of the things I would like to see for special features, so cover art's easy, like any shot from that movie is absolutely gorgeous. So I don't really have a stake in that. But for features, you know, you have the commentary, you could have some deleted scenes or production outtakes. Sure, I'm down for all that. What I'd really love to see is something to do with it being adapted from Crime and Punishment, like maybe another version of Crime and Punishment on the same DVD or a documentary about the making of that, because that book has been adapted at least 30 times in several different countries from the very beginning of film. And it adapts, it almost always adapts seamlessly. Like Woody Allen himself did it twice. Like that's one filmmaker and he's made two very different movies out of the same basic story. So it'd be really cool to see the different takes on it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's not really against what Criterion's achieved before because they have for sure shown like, you know, short films on like Eraserhead, they probably David Lynch short films or, you know, early copies of something or um, if if they get the rights to it, like even like a silent version of a film that's been remade into something else. So to have something like that where they could get the rights to it and easily distribute it this way, plus it's exposure to another copy that wouldn't have gotten it. So I think that's, that's really good. Make it a bundle. Yeah, I was thinking either one of the international versions or one of the silent ones, which kind of overlap as long as they're not lost. So, Especially because silent is, uh, I, at this point, it's going to all be public domain very soon. So, Yep. I think that's an excellent example. Um, so what we have here is a great international adaptation. We also have a, an indie masterpiece. I'm going to go the other Criterion route, which is, which is Art House. I'm going to go with, okay, so first off, my, my biggest issue with this, I still knew right away what I wanted to say, but Criterion's so good 
for years, I've been asking for things like come and see, which is now in the collection. I've been asking for, you know, a proper version of The Ascent, which is now in the collection. It feels like they're reading my mind, where so many things I've wanted in the collection have finally made it there, except there's one, and I know there's a whole myriad of rights-related issues surrounding this film. So the one film that I'm dying to be in the Criterion Collection is Andrzej Zulowski's uh, Possession, his English-language debut. It's this incredibly screwed-up horror film uh, starring, in her arguably her best role, Isabella Gianni, and Sam Neill in Outside of His Element. And, yeah, this film, I think, is just so bonkers, so over-the-top. Like, to me, this screams, like, the Cronenberg side of the collection, but also the art house side of the collection. Um, I feel like it's only a matter of time that Possession's going to be a part of the, of the Criterion Collection. For this, I feel like the best special features would be, honestly, two separate commentaries. One by Isabella Gianni about her filming the performance, because apparently it was, like, her most exhausting one, and if you've seen the film, that goes without saying... But there's also Sam Neill who could go have his recount because this is, again, so unlike a lot of Sam Neill-related films. So I feel like that would be interesting to hear as well. Unfortunately, we're not going to hear anything from Zelowski who's not with us anymore. But, um, you know, I can't really have um, another, like, another film of his, which is on the Silver Globe, uh, what would be interesting there, because that's technically an, an an incomplete film, like perhaps some of the, the, the rotting footage that they don't have to work with or whatever, whatever wasn't in the film and like the, you know, the storyboarding something. But again, that's a different movie and I don't want to get ahead of myself for the case of this thing, because I feel like I feel like all the other versions, because this has been released a lot. There's been some really good cover art, whether it's, you know, drawings or um you know paintings inspired by the film you know erotic or horrific i honestly think just an empty subway shot with i, I don't want to spoil too much but with the remnants of a previous scene where if you don't know what the film is it looks very chilling and you don't know what you're looking at but if you know the film it just brings back these horrific memories because what i love about possession is it is a horror film but it presents itself as like a family drama, almost like a melodrama, you know, courtroom related stuff, you know, all this legal separation, but then it turns in on itself. It becomes this movie that you just don't see coming. So the less you know, the better. And I feel like just that subway with this climactic scene, I don't want to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, you're like, this looks intriguing. What is this? And if you've seen it again, it's going to be traumatizing. So, I'm going with Possession. That sounds like an amazing pick. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment more than that, but I would definitely watch it. Yeah, unfortunately, it's really hard to get a hold of now. The only legal copies I could play in Canada that, or North America that I could think of are like also on the higher end, like $50, $60, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, if not more. But, um, okay. yeah, it's not the easiest one to buy, but... You know, if it's a Criterion, hey, I, I'd absolutely do it, especially if it's like Blu-ray or, God forbid, 4K. God, I actually don't know if I want to see that movie in 4K. There's there's a little bit too much that if you see that in 4K, it'd be very disturbing. But these are films that have never been in Criterion print. What about the ones that have been in print and 
they don't exist anymore. Now, a lot of these films have come back. So, like, Chunking Express was out of print for the longest time. Now it's a part of the Walker Y box set. So, there's a lot of these instances where they've gotten the rights back or have found ways to, you know, redistribute them. So, The Science of the Lambs got amazing box art now. So, what are the ones that they have yet to bring back? I guess let's go in the same order. James, what do you want back in the collection? Robocop. Do you know when that stopped being in the collection? Was that like one of the earlier ones to, to drop out? It, it, I mean, it was one of the earlier criterions in general. I don't know when it went out of print. It's been out of print for years, though. Now, what would you like? Like, how would you like that to be released? Like, what would your ideal box set be? I don't know. See, I think it would just kind of be the typical stuff you'd have that they do you know obviously probably any sort of press things from back in the day or maybe you know some updated interviews maybe with the old you know new interviews with the cast and crew i don't know i just i really love the movie because and i was so disappointed when it was announced that they were remaking it because i was like no there's no way you could do it and i saw the trailer and i was like i'm not watching that because the I think its strength comes for from the different style or styles that Paul Verhoeven puts together because it's like one part action film, you know, it's got this dystopian sci-fi thing going on, but it also has this like really interesting satire with like all those mm-hmm. really bizarre, like commercials and, you know, news clips that they put throughout. But also when, you know, you have these moments where Murphy you know, as RoboCop, he's kind of having these bizarre memories. And, you know, you see this kind of like weird point of view shots of like him remembering like his old house and his old life and stuff kind of has this really interesting, like art house lean to it. And it's just a movie. I think, you know, it does so many things right for all of the things that it tries to do. And, you know, you don't really get that a lot anymore because like any, you know, some stuff that tries to do it nowadays can be either a little try hard or it just falls short. And just for some reason, RoboCop hit the sweet spot. Also, it was written in response to Blade Runner. I found out the screenwriter, he saw Blade Runner and he saw a a cop that kills robots. Now he's going to have a robot. That's a cop killing humans. Okay. I actually didn't know that. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it was like, you know, I mean, I think the only thing that's funny about it is like the really, really primitive computer animation of the of the other robot that they come with within the movie. So it's like certain shots like that where it's like moving and it looks cheesy. But also, I also love the RoboCop costume because it's all real. It's not like they do nowadays with the green suits. Right, the '80s was like the peak of like practical effects. effects. It's like yeah, like practical effects because it was like right before CGI was happening. So you know, stuff to like to this day, like uh, Blade Runner and Brazil. There's a lot of stuff in those films where it's like I still don't really get how they made that. You could tell me and I could see it, but it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's fake. But um, yeah, otherwise, as you pointed out, it's also the dawning of really bad CGI. But you have to start somewhere. Robocop was also one of the first films that you recommended for our random racks, so it's kind of nice that you're coming full circle. Hey, See, I was trying to remember if I did recommend that or not. Yeah, it was like the first or second episode. It was very early. Oh, wow. Uh, I knew it would come back I, around I'm surprised point. you remembered that. Jeez. <laughs> wow. I don't even remember that. And I'm the guy who writes the show notes. Actually, there aren't show notes for the first few episodes, so I, of course I don't remember. I mean, we're oh, on our, what, 37th episode? No, I take it back, 38. Hey, every time I come up with a random wreck, I have to be like, now, did I recommend this? I'm pretty sure I've done at least one twice, but that doesn't matter. 
I, I feel like I should do like an April Fool joke where it's just like on on like that episode, I make a recommendation and for an entire year I give the same one. Just to see if anyone's listening. <laughs> no, let's not do that. Uh, just recommend <laughs> the same one every single episode and see if anyone notices. Or make have up any, a movie. Have any of you seen Shawshank Redemption? If not, it's really good. And then next week, have any of you seen Shawshank Redemption? No. <laughs> everybody's seen Shawshank Redemption. I'm guessing that's not what you're going to pick. No, it was never Criterion. Uh, Rachel, what are you picking for the out of print? Well, this movie goes up to 11. Okay, uh, so I, I already know what this it, is. It, it, it stand by me. No, it's not. <laughs> no, so I've always loved this as Spinal Tap because it's weird, goofy, fun. It's by the absolute geniuses, uh, Christopher Guest and all of his crew. Yeah, and you know, I feel that comedy tends to get short shrift in respect in the film world. It has to be either really old or have a very serious undertone, like be about a serious topic, something like that. So. I'm always going to fight for a silly, funny comedy that is not trying for hugely deep meaning to stay on that list because I want the genres to stack up. I want comedy to be respected. It's funny that you say that there's no deep meaning, which I know you, you don't mean like in any uh, bad way, because if you ask a lot of musicians, a lot of them say, oh my God, why are you filming my life? Especially like back in the 70s and like the early 80s when the film came out. Like, that film, as, as satirical as it was, like, it felt very real for a lot of musicians. No, I'm not saying it doesn't have any real-life resonance. What oh, I'm yeah, really saying is it doesn't have, like, a depressing side to it, as I find many of the comedies on Criterion tend to do to be respected. That's that's true. That's true. And, like, any of the ones that are just straightforward comedies are older. They're not from, like, yeah, the like 80s. Yeah, like the 30s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, uh, yeah, that's around the time that I, I liked Rob Reiner films, uh, the, you know, the the more his filmography goes on, the less I care for it. So right at the beginning, yeah, I love Spinal Tap. You know, we should probably discuss that because this is a little too smart and self-aware to be a debut film. And the fact that this was his first offering is like, it's almost kind of disappointing if, you know, his career starts to fall off after a while because it's like to show that much promise, especially with the kind of concept it is. Also, the fact that they had like an entire album of songs made specifically for this film is just amazing. And appeared on The Simpsons as themselves. (laughs) <laughs> yes, ask themselves. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you've got the Harris year uh, exactly. connection, but uh, it's Smithers and uh, Mr. Burns and a bunch of other people. But, you know, you also have Christopher Guest, as you pointed out, who has gone on to continue the mockumentary genre, which uh, he didn't practice. I think but, perfect it, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like he just wanted to keep going with this. And obviously you've got uh, Michael McKean, who... Um, nowadays is more well known for his short stint on better call Saul completely unrecognizable. Like they're all so talented. They're all so talented at, in this film. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. What would your release look like? Like cover art box related stuff. What do you think? Should, should the cover just be black? Like the, like the album um, cover. Yeah. And I think that it would have, um, it would have a, I think the special features would be in on the joke as well. Like I could see like a memorial tribute to all their dead drummers that kind of thing, and maybe an ad for the fancy speakers. Like I, I think that playing into it would be really a good concept. Or you know what? What if they had like an undersized box? Cause like, you know, they got the measurements wrong. Like, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the napkin, you know, expletives aside. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a lot of potential. Just Criterion, please don't get the wrong idea and release North instead. 
No, no. Again, like I said, the further you go down the Rob Reiner filmography, <laughs> the worse it gets. Um, for mine, I had a few that I was thinking of, but I don't know what it was. I completely forgot this existed until like moments before the episode. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's Ron by uh, Akira Kurosawa. I mean, they have like everything else by him, pretty much. And they even had a box set of his back in the day. That's out of print as well. But had everything. It has Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, uh, Rashomon. Any of his big films you can, you can think of, it's there. Like High and Low, um, The Hidden Fortress. Again, I can keep going. But the point is, when you have that type of collection and Ron isn't there, that's like having the Bergman box set and you have Persona, you have The Seven Seal, but you don't have cries and whispers. It's like you're missing one of the juggernauts of the filmography. And it's not even the fact that it wasn't in the box set. Like, they just flat out don't have it at all anymore. And they did back in the day. And if you're going to have any film of his, especially in the Criterion Collection, it's like his most vividly colorful film outside of um, Kagamusha. Because he primarily worked in black and white. So, like, this would be gorgeous to see in Blu-ray and, you know, with the proper treatment. Now, we know Criterion has this affinity for making things teal. But, you know, as long as they don't go that route, um, it would be just beautiful to look at. And it, it deserves a Criterion treatment. And honestly, the, the previous box set cover art with, like, the splashes of color, that's good enough. But, like, on the inside, maybe have it fold out to, like, the, born, like, to, like, the burning dynasties. Just to be like have this 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 beautiful carnage. I don't know something to that effect. Like it's a must. Ron is a must. Absolutely. I mean that's why we had it for Smorgasbord, right? Well, that's because I I brought it in and I said, Rachel, you've got to see this. But um, and you're right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it just screams Criterion. Perhaps even more than like any of his other films, which is saying a lot because again, Kurosawa is like top ten, potentially top five directors of all time. So it, I feel like it's our time for our random recommendations. Are we going to do Criterion picks though? How do we feel, James? What is your random recommendation for this week? I, I guess I'll just go with the Criterion pick. Let's go with Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing," which, if you buy on his website, he personally signs. So yes, just- that is true. Yes, that's that's the way to go about it. Rachel, are you going with a Criterion pick? I am not, but I'm going with a movie I could definitely see on Criterion someday, and it is a comedy that treats a serious subject with humor. And that is Obvious Child by Gillian Robespierre starring Jenny Slate. It is about a young comedian who is in her late 20s and messing up her life, and it takes her on this path through growing up basically and it's a really really interesting take i think that it's worth watching sounds good to me for mine it is a criterion pick but it's kind of in the middle it i believe it's out of print or it's really hard to get now this is the one i initially had in mind for the second half of this episode it's last year in marion bad by alan renee yes that is out of print because i just googled out of print movies before we did this podcast uh First off, Rachel, did you see the box art for it? It's just like just blank white with like the embossed letters. Oh yeah, my exactly. god. Uh anyway, uh one of my favorite films of the left bank movement and just so surreal, so gorgeous, moving, impossible to explain. Absolutely that one. So before we say goodnight to everybody, where can you find us on social media? 
We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram under the K-Cut. We'd like to post film trivia tidbits and talk about some of our upcoming episodes. And so for this month, for Cinematic Smorgasbord, our collective film is Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. And then our individual picks are Agri the Wrath of God, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Which I believe none of those are on the Criterion Collection, and all Hedwig. of them should be. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Well, well, well done, Criterion. I did not know that. Otherwise, the rest, get on a Criterion. I don't make them teal either. So, um, from from LaserDisc era to all of these amazing box sets, uh, on behalf of all of us and Cinephiles Everywhere, we thank you, Criterion, for being one of the greatest distributors of anything cinema-related. That was the K-Cut. Um, temporarily, the C-Cut, I guess. You know, we can toss that logo on there if you so desire. I'm going to do that in the image for this week's episode. (laughs) Anyway, now we're going into the L-cut. 